Every Sunday we gather to make much of Jesus through the preaching of God's Word, worship, and fellowship together. We would love for you to come join us. We have two services, one at 8.30 and one at 11. We hope you will grow in your affection for Jesus with today's message. Thanks for listening. In the final messages that I am preaching as uh, your senior pastor, I want us to remember some things, church. I want us to remember how much Jesus loves us. I want us to remember the greatness of our God. I want us to remember the joy of being a Christian. And I want us to remember the importance of sharing Jesus globally. And today, I want us to remember the joy and the privilege of stewardship. It will be a joy if you choose to make it a joy. And it is a privilege because God lets us in on what he's doing in this world through stewardship. If I were starting over in my ministry with the knowledge that I have now, I would preach more on stewardship, not less. And I hope your new pastor will do so. It's biblical and apparently we need the reminders and for new believers, well, they need to be taught the basics of the faith. I love Daryl Royal stories for many years, the great football coach at the University of Texas, and he recruited a player who was uh, six foot five, 250 pounds and could run as fast as the wind. But the only problem with this young man is he was just not really a very good student. So at the end of every grading period, he was supposed to go to Coach Royal and talk about his grade report. And so it came time to do that, and Coach Royal said, well, son, how did you do? And the young man said, well, Coach, I made an F in English. I made an F in chemistry. I made an F in math. I made an F in sociology, and I made a D in history. What do you think about that, Coach? Coach Royal thought for a moment and then said, Son, it's evident to me that you've been spending too much time on one subject. Well, I don't think anybody will accuse me of spending too much time on the subject of stewardship, but I do think it's important that I address it in one of my final sermons to you as your pastor. And so today we're going to talk about the joy and the privilege of stewardship. I was taught stewardship by my father. When my dad was saved in his late 20s, he was saved all over, including his wallet. He gave faithfully, and he taught his two children to do the same. Now, honestly, I didn't, as a young man, always see the joy and the privilege of stewardship and of of giving. I had to mature and study the Scripture to really latch on to that. But I knew my dad saw it as joy, as privilege, and as obedience. This is my last time to address you on the subject of stewardship. Stewardship is not a method by which we pay the preacher. Stewardship is a way of life by which we participate in the sharing of the gospel here and around the world through the myriad ministries of the church. Stewardship is not a matter of an unfeeling routine, but rather uh, it is a well-thought-out 
and prayed over process and practice of life that is a joy and a privilege. Stewardship is the managing of something that belongs to someone else. In this case, it is our being caretakers of what God has entrusted to us, for the Scripture says it's all His. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Stewardship is important biblically. It is important ministerially because it's the work of the church. It is important physically. It is important missionally. It is important personally because it has to do with our obedience, our joy, and our privilege. It's important for the future of First Baptist Belton, and it is important for your new pastor, whoever he may be. I want to get your attention with some statistics for just a moment. First of all, I want to say I'm so proud of the response you have made during this time of of COVID. This has been an uncertain time. And when all of it began back in the month of March, I was concerned. I was concerned that uh, we might suffer greatly in the area of stewardship because I was fearful that there would be folks losing their jobs or reduction in hours, reduction in pay. And so I was concerned that it would affect the ministries of the church, that it would affect our mission partners to whom we give and who depend upon us. I was afraid that it might mean the laying off of some of the finest men and women I know, members of our staff. And and I was concerned, and the times were uncertain, but praise the Lord, you have been so faithful. You have been amazing in your faithfulness in stewardship. We are at this point in September behind in the budget a little less than 4%. And I consider that to be amazing considering the circumstances. And that 4% can likely be made up very easily between now and December the 31st in spite of continued COVID uncertainty. Now, I want to share with you some things about our church family. So let me start by saying we have in our church... 1,031 family units. As of last Sunday, 1,031 household units. Now, that may mean a single person, or that may mean a mom and a dad and multiple children, but we have 1,031 family units. And so the time frame that I've taken on these statistics is one year. The second Sunday in September of last year was September 8th. The second Sunday of September this year was September 13th, last Sunday. So these statistics cover that one-year time frame. So with that in mind, the number of household units that gave $1 or more in the last year is 477 household units. We'll do the math and subtract that from the total of 1,031 units, and that means that 554 household units gave nothing. That is, they're members of the family, but not supportive of the family, at least in these last 12 months. Now, I realize that could have been affected by COVID, no doubt about it, but then COVID didn't start till March, and these statistics cover from September the 8th of a year ago. 
the number of household units in that time that have given less than $100, and that includes those who gave nothing, is 566 household units. The number of household units that gave less than $1,000, and that would include those who gave nothing, is 646 household units. The number of household units that gave over $1,000 for that entire year is 385, or 37% of our household units. And those 37% are the ones who, frankly, are carrying the ministries of the church. So with those statistics in mind, I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Invite your attention there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And the scripture says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So... We urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, leap over to the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever... uh, And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So with that in mind, I want us to think today about the joy and the privilege of stewardship. Here's a background to those two chapters in 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It's his second letter to the church in Corinth. And he, in the letter, brags on the poverty-stricken churches of Macedonia who gave generously and beyond their ability. Corinth had pledged a big gift to Paul's ministry and to the poor and to, to assisting in the spread of the gospel. And they made this commitment over a year ago because we read about it in First Corinthians. 
but they had not yet given the gift that they had promised to give. And so in a gentle but pointed reminder of their commitment, Paul addresses the issue and says, don't embarrass yourself and don't embarrass me. Come on now and give the gift that you promised. And so that's the background for the message, the joy and the privilege of stewardship. So in this text, Paul says these things about stewardship. First of all, stewardship is from the heart. Stewardship is from the heart. When the heart is right with God, you'll find a faithful steward. No one would give, as Paul described the Macedonians giving, if their hearts were not right with God, for they gave out of extraordinary distress and uh, unusual poverty. Stewardship as a practice is not dependent on the economy or on circumstances. Now, the amount of giving may be strongly influenced by what you have or by what you don't have, but the practice of stewardship itself is one of faithfulness, and the Macedonians gave from deep poverty and gave as generously as was possible for them to give. Stewardship is a privilege. If you look back at verse 4 of chapter 8, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So Paul is saying to you, to us, stewardship is a privilege. And stewardship can be surprising to some with limited understanding. For in the fifth verse of that eighth chapter, Paul confesses to being to, to the Macedonians giving far beyond, exceeded our expectations. They gave, first of all, of themselves and then gave generously of, of what they had. Stewardship can sometimes be a surprise when God's people are faithful. Stewardship is a sign of your heart condition. And so all the sermons in the world are to no avail if your heart is not right. So stewardship is a matter of the heart. Secondly, Paul tells us that stewardship flows from relationship. Stewardship flows from relationship, first of all, from relationship with God, and second of all, from relationship with the church. So stewardship flows from relationship with God. It's all his, all of it. All giving is to him and for his glory. So our stewardship flows from our relationship with God, and it also flows from our relationship with the body of Christ, the church. The practice of stewardship is giving to someone that we love on behalf of someone that we love, giving to God, giving through the church with whom we have a relationship, a family relationship a close friend relationship. And I love the church. I love the church universal, believers everywhere. But I love particularly First Baptist Belton. And so we have decided as a church there are ministries and missions that we're going to do. And we know that it requires our stewardship to carry them out. So I feel when I'm practicing stewardship through my church that I'm expressing not only my love for God, and my relationship with him, but I'm expressing my love for the church, for the people that I know and love in this place. Thirdly, stewardship should be generous. 
Stewardship should be generous. In the ninth chapter and the sixth verse, Paul said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Giving is like seed planting. Hoarded seed never yields a harvest. I am a product of the gifts of the people of God, the the people of giving to Christ's work. I had the privilege of growing up in a church that taught me about Jesus, that taught me the Bible, that taught me about missions, that taught me about ministry. My call to ministry came uh, through the Royal Ambassador Program, which is a Baptist men's program for, for young people. And my training was at a seminary supported by the gifts of, of God's people. And so all of my church experience has come as God's people are faithful and loving. And so stewardship should be generous. The salvation of my wife came through the ministry of the church. The salvation of my son and my daughter came through the ministry of the church. And so I owe so much to the body of Christ, and in this case, the body of Christ known as First Baptist Belton. So remember, it's important. Did you notice that word remember in verse 6? Paul said, remember this. So he's saying, this is important. Remember this. You reap what you sow. Giving is from the heart. Giving is joyful, and giving brings blessing. Now, the fourth thing that we noticed in the text is this. Stewardship requires praying and planning. Stewardship requires praying and planning. Look at verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving is seldom impulse giving. Now, sometimes it is, and there's a place for that. There's a place for seeing an immediate need and and quickly impulsively responding to that need. But most of our giving is carefully thought out and carefully prayed out and comes out of the deep conviction of our hearts. And I've discovered through the many years that I've had the privilege of walking with Jesus that the less I pray, the less I give, the more I pray, the more I give. If you don't want to give more, then don't pray more. But you know that doesn't sound right, does it? Where's the starting place? Well, I know for me it's been the tithe. Now, we as believers living under grace know that the tithe is Old Testament. But I've still chosen to make the tithe my starting point. And that's a starting point. And so... My wife and I give beyond the tithe, but the basic tithe is our beginning point given to the storehouse, as Malachi calls what we now call the church. And I would never think about doing less under grace than a Jew had to do under the law. So the tithe is our beginning place, and stewardship is to be prayed over and planned for. Stewardship requires prayer and planning. Number five, stewardship is a joyful practice. Stewardship is a joyful practice. I've always loved the second part of verse nine, where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Hilarion is the Greek word. We get our English word hilarious from that. Our giving is to be filled with joy. It is to be a joyful practice, even a hilarious practice, a grateful practice, a, a, a an act of worship 
whether we place money in the boxes at the exits or in an offering plate when they're passed again or online or by mail, whatever way it can be an act of worship and done with great joy and gratitude. And then number six, stewardship brings blessing. Verse eight of chapter nine makes it clear. Stewardship brings blessing. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't interpret that to mean all our blessings are going to be material or that, are, or, or that God is going to bless us with more money the more we give. That's not the meaning of the blessing. But it does say we will have all we need and we will abound in God's grace. And whatever that means, I love the way it sounds. And I love even more its reality. God will bless us if we are faithful stewards. We will excel and we will find satisfaction in our hearts. Now, the last thing I want to say about stewardship is this stewardship for First Baptist Belton. Stewardship for First Baptist Belton. And those who watch are not part of our church. This is equally applicable for you and your church, wherever it may be. Stewardship for First Baptist Belton begins with our loving God. Number one, we love God. Number two, we obey God. Number three, we will be generous. Number four, we will plan and pray and pray and plan. Number five, we'll understand that as we give through our church, we're giving to our spiritual family. Number six, we will give with joy. Number seven, we will see our giving as privilege that allows us to get in on what God's doing in this world And we'll understand that our giving, lastly, is critical. It is critical for the future. It is critical for our ministries, for our missions, for all that we're called to do as a church. It will help to define who we are in the days to come. So I ask you, church, be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray that we would be found as faithful stewards, that we would give faithfully, joyfully, that we will plan and pray over what you would have us do, and that we would indeed be found as faithful stewards awaiting the blessing that you choose to pour out upon us, whatever it may be. And I pray that in the days ahead, First Baptist Belton will be known as a church that practices faithful stewardship to enable the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to the ends of the earth, to enable ministries to be carried out to our neighbors and to those who live far away. Father, thank you for the privilege of stewardship. In Jesus' name, amen. There may be someone watching today, and you would have to say in answer to this question, do you know Jesus? No, I don't, or I'm not sure. I plead with you this morning, give your heart to the one who died on the cross for you and arose from the grave for you. Call out to him today and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. It is my heart's desire to follow you from this day forward. And if you do that, I I hope you'll let us know. There's contact information on the screen. Please let us know that you have prayed that prayer to follow Jesus. We'd like to get in touch with you and give you some information that will help you to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we close our service, I want to read from the book of Jude, the benediction that we have been doing virtually uh, every Sunday since March the 15th. 
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage. 